right, welcome to the Nitty Gritty. We are back, episode 98. Is that right? Seven. 97. <laughs> Sorry, I jumped ahead. I'm so excited to get to 100. But uh, yeah, just got back from vacation. It was fun. Welcome back. Thank you. And we had a really, really cool guest on today. Author. I mean, he's an author now. Of course he is. I'm, we have his I'm book holding in his our book hands. And you don't have it. Yeah, you don't have it, folks. We got it early. Um, motivational speaker. Yep. Employee retention extraordinaire. Well, something that we didn't even talk about. An Emmy Award winner. Yeah, we like, did. How, like, a how do we bad drop the ball? Job. Like, how do we drop the ball on that? Shouldn't that be on the front of his Google search results? That's results? kind of a big deal. So, Emmy Award winning. So, for the undercover millennial. I mean, yeah, that's what that's what it's for. I'm that's reading his book. It's pretty awesome. Clint Pulver, and fellow Wasatch Wasp. Zzz. Yep, take that, Darcy. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, a lot of energy, uh, another fellow ADHD brother. Unbelievable story. His story is awesome. Well, and, and the book, the, the content that's inside of this thing, like hearing how he got there, it's incredible. It really is. I mean, and the way he gets the data, it's a really, really it, it'll be hard for somebody to not want to read this after sure. hearing the podcast yep. because it's just so... It is so different than the normal managerial self-help business type of book. The way he gathers his info is so different. Mm -hmm. I mean, it forces honest conversations. Conversation. Yeah. So he would go undercover into businesses and speak to employees, not managers. He would speak, speak to employees in order to better help. To learn managers. like what's going on with it. Yep. Yeah. Super and cool. So there's a there's a lot to learn. I think there's a lot to learn there for employees as well. Well, and as he's talking about it, we talk about this on the podcast. It sounds like parenting, right? Oh, I mean, parenting, coaching, everything. It, kind of, it relates to so many different. Even if you're not a manager, your life. Like, this is a hundred percent applicable, right? To whatever it is that's going on. Even just being a friend. Yeah. I mean, it's all. It would all relate. Yeah. So. So yeah. Um. Exciting guest. Thanks, and we've guys. got some exciting things coming up. Yeah, we do. We got some good stuff. We're almost yeah. at a hundred. I know. And you and I are going to the Masters, which is pretty cool. Thanks, Jared. You and I are going to the Masters, which is pretty cool. Hold on, is that real? Is that is that for real? How you're going to tell me? I thought it would be fun. <laughs> what? <laughs> is this real? So I don't know if you know this or not. Hold on, but. Let me tell you how many people are getting into the Masters this year. Hold on. So they are only, the only people out on the course are people with Berkman's passes. No other spectators. So it will be the most exclusive Masters Hold of on. all time. And you're going to be there on Monday with me. Is this real life? It's real life. <laughs> <laughs> It's a practice round, but Monday has always been best. my favorite day <clears throat> just because, but this one will be what I've always loved about practice round or Mondays, especially is there's less people. Yeah. Well, and the people are cool. not even going to be an issue this year because there will only be about a thousand people on the whole course at a time, but the pro shop 
is not sold out of anything. So like all the stuff that you want. Oh no. Is there. I need to get like a PPP loan so I can afford whatever it is I'm going to (laughs) do. So yeah, so I've got four tickets for Monday. So I thought, you know what? This is the year. So it's, I know you're leaving for Hawaii the end of that week. What day is it? It's the, it's the Monday before the Saturday that you leave. So it's the fifth. (laughs) It's close. And it is only one day. So flying out for just one day is so worth it. But it's so it's so worth it. So anyway, surprise. See you at the, see at the Masters. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're going. So I'm cooking there all week. But Monday, I've got some extra tickets. So I figured this was the year that you're going. Yes. So just thought this would be a fun place to break the news. So you got to be a part of it, everybody. And Brent recorded it for me. Because he's in on it. So yeah, we're going to have fun. So enjoy the episode. Love you all. Goodbye. Welcome, everyone. Nitty Gritty is back, and so is Cam. Thank it you, sucks. Cam. <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. Not the podcast, just Utah. Okay. Florida's better. That's no doubt right now, for sure. <laughs> but we have a much-requested guest Mr. Clint Pulver is with us today. Clint, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, it's an honor. I'm, I'm happy to be on the show. Thanks for inviting me. So we have, you have been brought up multiple times by multiple people. Is brought in a word? I said it. So it then, it yeah. is now. It's it is confident. now. How, yeah. do you, how do you want to say it, Cam? Uh, he's been brought up many times, I think is the proper way to say it. But that, brought up is fine. I mean, we do say mountain in Utah. So Button. Brought in. Yeah. Broughton this we have our own language for sure i'm just gonna stop talking and let you talk then no go ahead and take over i can't make fun of anything with (laughs) english so i was just trying to have fun oh clint thank you so much um you're you're a busy man right now you're kind of on the circuit because you're promoting something very specific what's what's going on in your world right now so we're getting ready for a book to come out into the world uh it's been four years and probably one of the hardest things i've ever done in my life i will never do it again that no. is that is for certain. Yeah, it's just never yeah. say never. Clint. I know that's You're what everybody says, but I'm like, out there, British, when this sure buys you that book. house in Florida, oh jeez, you'll be like, you know what? Let's I, write another. Maybe book. I will do this yeah, again. Yeah. This is pretty sweet. It's grueling. I mean, I, it's one thing to just sit down and write a book, but uh, this process has been you know four years of research and all the undercover stuff, and yeah, it's been a lot. And, undercover and, stuff. What do you mean by that? So for the last five years, I've worked as the undercover millennial. And it's oh, kind of okay. like it's kind of like undercover boss without the makeup. I thought you were doing some like, you know, like secret shoppers. Right? Like I'm gonna like undercover boss. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of what about. it is. Yeah, and, and so I, I I have worked with 181 organizations, so restaurants, hospitality, medical clinics, and I go in as someone who's looking for a job, and I've got wow. the backwards hat, and I mean I still look young enough, and I go in and I just. Say, hey, I'm just thinking about applying. What's it like have to like work fil- here? Do you have a film crew? Yeah, and so I have hidden cameras on my body. Please so I have say a pen. you haven't done Bam Bams. <laughs> we have not done Bam Bams. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, um, it was Microsoft, but <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. we'll get to you. Yeah. Bam Bams. Yeah, we could do it. We could do it. <laughs> but it's been, it's been fun. It's been a lot of work. And yeah, we've interviewed over 10,000 employees undercover. Wow. And uh Whoa. So what's that so what's that process like? I mean, you're wearing cameras. After you get through the process, do you have to go back and get you know, releases to let Yeah, so them... so nope. So there's privacy laws that we keep. So we we 
we blur out everybody's faces. Oh, okay. And then we also uh, change their voice if we need to. Interesting. Yeah, and if it's a small business, so like if we came in here, we wouldn't even show video because you could uh, identify who people are. For sure. Yeah, so the point isn't to figure out who needs to get fired the next day. You're not trying to cancel <laughs> or, or, people. <laughs> yeah, or, or who needs to be promoted, right? The goal is to find the truth. And we've created an environment where employees will tell me That's amazing. everything. So hold on, where did that come from? Yeah, so five years ago, I was in New York City and I was part of a, a mastermind group. We were meeting with other CEOs and business owners and one of the guys that we met were with. Were you living in New York? Mm-mm, mm-mm. No, I was living here. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and we went and we traveled over there and one of the guys that we met with had a large sporting good retail chain, just a big store, beautiful store in Manhattan. And we were talking to this guy and he was talking about business strategy and how they've had to adapt and he had this thick New York accent. And I hate that accent. Yeah, and he... Oh. He, he looked at us and he said, you got to adapt or you're going to die. Oh. <laughs> if you don't adapt, you're going to die. It was like fairly like profound. You're pretty good at it. And, and I agreed with him because it was, it was like, yeah, I get it. Okay. In, in business, you've got to adapt. You've what were you change. doing at the time? At the time, I was in the medical field. I was an, I was an orthopedic consultant. So I was doing medical sales okay. and yeah, in that world and had my own distributorship and all my own employees and all that. Okay. And then I asked him, I was just curious. I said, so what about your management style? You felt this need to change how you do business to adapt to the market, but have you changed how you work with people? And he fired back and he said, Mm-mm. nope. He said, the way I manage today is the same way I managed 20 years ago and we get results. And it was another like fairly profound statement. And I looked in his store because we're in the store and all of his employees were my age or younger. So college students, high school students. This was five years ago. What made you think and to ask that question? That's a pretty profound question from for a twenty-nine-year-old, a medical twenty-eight-year-old. Yeah. Guy. So I had had some time working with kids. So I've, I've spoke to high school students for the last. It's been almost seven, eight years now, and I just uh, got kids and kids. You know, today versus how kids grew up twenty years ago. So different. It's totally different. Yeah. And he felt no need to change. And I, and I looked around and I saw all these employees and I just thought to myself, I wonder if they would say the same thing. I wonder if they would have the same perception. So we thanked the guy for his time and we had like 35 minutes to kill until we needed to be to the next place. I had nothing else better to do. So I just walked up to one of the employees and I just, I said, hey, I'm just curious, what's it like to work here? And the employee got quiet, you know, started looking around. Looking around to see if his boss is over his shoulder. Yeah, I felt like we're doing an illegal drug exchange. And he said, do you really want to know? And I said, yeah, I'm just curious. He said, I can't stand it here. He said, it's just, it's literally just a job. How old was the kid? That kid was probably 20. Right. Yeah, yeah, young kid. And he's like, dude, it's, it's miserable. He said, I literally feel like I'm a cog in the wheel. I don't even think my manager knows I'm here right now. And I said, well, well then why are, you, why are you working here? And he said, oh, I've already applied to three other places. As soon as I get an opportunity, I'm out. And I said, well, okay, well, maybe the kid's having a bad day. Like maybe he just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Yeah. Right. So I went and asked another employee and another and another. In 35 minutes, I interviewed six of his team members, six of his staff. And at the end just of like, that conversation, just like on the whim, like, I'm yeah, just walked up. And I, 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 was, I, I was in a backwards hat, my, my Nikes, my joggers. I just looked like a customer. I right. was a customer. And we created an environment where every one of them spoke their truth because I wasn't a survey. I wasn't a manager. I was just another millennial. Right. And at the end of those conversations, five out of the six of his people that I interviewed said they would not be working for this guy in his store in less than three and a half months. The reality of what the employees were experiencing versus the perception of leadership was night and day different. Interesting. Completely different. How was the sixth one different? Uh, Sixth one was like, you know, it's fine. 
it's it's okay. Like no, it's it's good. I've been here for a while. She was older as well. She was. A, I she was, was gonna say. Yeah, she was a little bit of an older employee. Interesting. And here's the thing. I've learned, and that was that was the moment that started this organization. This started this business. This so this started the book, because I think that most ma- most managers have no idea they're doing poorly. I mean, I've just they don't so know. They have no clue, right. and then they they're shocked when an employee leaves. I'm so amazed that you had the forethought though to think about this. I mean. You're just at this random mastermind group in New York, and you're like, "I'm going to go start interviewing people and talk to them about their work, their culture." Right? Well, you skip the. I mean, how many people in their twenties are in masterminds or in New York? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe that was a sign that so, we're dealing with a little bit more of a. So maybe let's back up person. a little bit to get to that. Like, where are you from? What was your upbringing like? Like what? Like what prepared you, knowingly or unknowingly, for that moment? Yeah, and I, I've I've thought about that. Like, why why did I do that at that time? And it was just out of genuine curiosity. I feel like I've been a somewhat curious person in my life. Like, I love to fly. Uh, I love to drum. I love to. I, I have a lot of different weird, quirky hobbies. I don't know. I've just been curious about a lot of things. There's a lot of things that pull on my heartstrings, and there's a lot of things that I've just been genuinely interested in. And one of those things has always been like, what makes people do what they do? What makes people do what they don't do? Like, why? And, you know, if someone claims something in this world, part of me is not someone who just questions to question, but I'm genuinely curious as to why they think that way. So you were, you were talking to kids previous to this. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Like how did you get into that? Where did that start? Yeah, so uh, when I was in high school, I spoke in church, and there was a guy that owned a leadership consulting company that after I gave this talk, he came up and he said, listen, I'm doing this high school like conference for, for student council members down in St. George, Utah. I want you to come and speak. I was still a senior in high school. And I was like, no way. Mm-mm. No desire. Like to go speak to other high school kids as a high school kid. No, thanks. And he said, listen, I'll pay you 500 bucks. Wow. And I was like, what day do you need me? <laughs> I, I will be there. And I went down and I put together this little thing called To the Beat of the Drum. And it was like buckets and drumsticks. And I just taught music principles. I just thought, taught things that I learned as a musician. And I loved it. Had you ever given that talk before? Never. No, that was my first time. And it just kind of came to you. Yeah, well, it, I don't know if it just necessarily came to me, but I had experience in music. And those principles that I had lived and breathed for a long time as a musician just nas- naturally translated into what I was teaching them in, in leadership. There was, a, there was a congruency there. And, uh, man, it was so fun. And I had people come up after, and they are like, hey, we want you to come speak at our school. I was like, what do you mean, speak at your school? And they're like, we bring speakers in all the time. And I was like, oh, oh okay. And they're like, and we'll pay you. And it was like 10 times what I was making at my crappy little high school job. And I was like, done. I get to come and play the drums and, and kind of do something bigger than myself. You know, I felt good doing it. It was, it was a, I don't know. And, and, and it just turned into one thing after the next. And I started speaking. Yeah. That's so cool. Wow. So where'd you grow up? Heber City, Utah. Shut up. Yeah. That's where I'm from. What? Yeah. No. Well, I moved there in high school, like freshman year of high school. Really? But that was 94. Yeah, Heber City. I graduated Wasatch High School in 2005. Wow. Yeah. We never had it. We never I knew had there was a connection. Like you grew up, like born and raised there? So I, I was born in Bountiful. We, we grew up a little bit in Texas and Kansas, but man, Heber was there. I, I think I was there when I was fifth grade, fifth grade on. Wow. Yeah. Do you have any older brothers and sisters? No, I'm the oldest. Oh, okay. That's yeah. probably why. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah, I graduated in 97. That's awesome. Were you in the new school? 
Nope. Old you school. Still the old school. Yeah, dude. All the tunnels so under the schools. You remember the exposed tunnels? Exposed to asbestos yes, as well. Yes, a lot of asbestos. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, I remember Still the having tunnels. effects from that. <laughs> dude, we went down in the tunnels a few times. Yeah. yeah. We had tunnels some great- crazy. Yeah. Not as good as the MTC tunnels. I, I don't know if anybody's I, been in those. I haven't been in Just the MTC you. tunnels. They're wild. Oh, no. Lots of people. I remember <laughs> seeing all the names on the walls down there. But Layman, Lemuel, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nephi's down there. It's like, of course, Layman and Lemuel. It was, cra- it was crazy. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar. It was crazy. That, that's... Noah. Yeah. So, do you still live in Heber, or do you? Still... No, I live in Pleasant Grove now. Oh, okay. My parents are still there. That's awesome. Yeah, dude, it's a great place. Changed it's not, a lot. Yeah, it's not what it used to be. That's for sure. Yeah. But the train's still there. The uh, you know, this <laughs> it almost ran me over once. That's how slow I am. Well, and then the Dairy Keen, right? The train, yeah, the Dairy Keen, that's still there. The yeah, good, good shakes. Yeah, that's a lot awesome. of good, there's just a lot of good people there, man. There, for sure. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Small so the, world. Did yeah. you grow up like, I don't know. Oh, wait, now Mr. Jensen makes sense. That is a Heber name. Larry Jensen. A lot of Jensen's. Well, yeah, what are you talking about, Cam? Wow. Sorry. Oh, yeah, I guess I should probably explain that. Yeah, let's talk about that now. Now, now is the appropriate time is, to talk is about it? that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, here's what happened. Long ago. So Tell us a story. This morning when I was doing... I don't... Everyone that listens to this knows that I don't really ever prep. And sometimes it's good because when you like click on Clint's name and you see him talking in front of 50,000 people, you're like... Sometimes that can intimidate you. You know what I mean? And I don't, I don't like there to be any of that. I just sure. want this to keep it real. But... I just watched a short little, it was just a little short film about your upbringing and some of your philosophies. And I think it kind of, the, the preface was, I believe that one single moment can change the tra- trajectory of your life, which I believe in strongly. Sure. But he talked about a, his English teacher. He's like, I was just always moving and tapping on things and just could Fidget. never sit still. Yep. And that's Battle when I knew that Fidget. we were going to be friends. Just just that part of the video. I was like, there's a bond there. What's that bond? ADHD, baby. Yeah. We can talk about yeah. that. But he said I had a teacher named Mr. Jensen. And now that kind of makes sense because there's a lot of there are a lot of Jensen's in Heber City. Mm-hmm. But I had a teacher that was just watching me tap on the table, which first of all, I thought that was so cool. Just because most teachers are like, Will you shut up, please? Like, stop tapping your hands. But he put a a set of drumsticks in your hands and the video said just never let go of these yeah keep them in your hands and i mean what a cool and you are a very accomplished drummer yeah he changed my life he he was the, the one of the first people in my life long ago that looked at me and said you're not a problem you're a drummer and everybody wow. saw the problem everybody saw the issue they saw the limitation even my parents like it was Stop tapping. Stop tapping. Right. Hold still. Sit on your hands. Stop. Stop. So you were Stop. always just yeah. Like, like even right now, like I, I'll stuff. hold something just to like, just to stay still. And it's hard. It's hard for me even now. But he took that problem and he said, "No, no, no. There's something more." Like right. instead of seeing the issue, he saw possibility, and he gave me some tools. He communicated my potential, and he communicated that I was worth something. And how old sure. were you? I was ten years old. Oh, that's crazy. 10 years old, man. And he, yeah, he said, here's the sticks. Keep them in your hands as much as you can. I have no idea what's going to happen, but let's just see. And that was 23 years ago. And uh, Was he a musician nope. himself? Mm-mm. No. 
No, just a, an amazing teacher that understood how to advocate for kids, not just develop them. Are we talking about, I wonder, oh, you were 10. I had a Mr. Jensen in high school, English yeah, teacher. There is a Mr. Jensen. Yeah, and it's different. different, oh, different I was going to say, Jensen. there's no way that Mr. Jensen would have done that. Yeah. He was a <laughs> douche. A different guy. <laughs> yeah, it had to be a different guy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 not that kind sorry, of teacher. Mr. Jensen. No, I'm not yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> the old miserable. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> we had some issues. But I mean what well in twenty three years ago, so I talk a lot about ADHD. Yeah. You know, I've I've got I'm ADHD. So many. I love I have a friend that wrote a book that he named, he titled it CEOs or Convicts. Because I mean that's pretty much what happens that's the spread right you're either going yeah. to jail or you're going to run a company <laughs> for the most part and so it's it's really cool because 23 years ago when that happened adhd wasn't i mean it, we're still trying to make it it's just becoming start, uh, more yes. comfortable to talk about right and yeah. more accepted and, yep. and people realizing that there's something real there but um but yeah so for him for a teacher 23 years ago not just to have the idea, but to care mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. Did he talk to you about so ADHD? Cool. No. no. And here's the thing. And I, I, Larry's still alive. We still talk all, all the time. Wow. Uh, and I asked him, I said, why me? You know, why was I the kid that got the drumsticks? And he told me that one of the first things he learned as an educator is that he couldn't save every kid, but he could save one. You know, it was those little, those little moments. And he said every, every semester, every term, he would pick one kid. And it was usually the problem kid, the kid that was on the list, the kid that nobody wanted to deal with. And then every day he woke up as an educator, he knew he was alive and he went to work for one kid. And he said it changed everything for him as an educator. And I was, I was that one. And yeah, so, I mean. That is so cool. <clears throat> yeah, and it just shows again, like the moments, right? It was a moment that he designed that changed a life. And it's the same thing I write about in my book. It's the same thing that employees talked about undercover because the magic of all of the research was not when an employee was dissatisfied with their job or they hated their manager. Like there was nothing magical about that. And that happened a lot. The magic is when I would go up to an employee and say, what's it like to work here? And they would respond with, I love it here. I love my job. I love what I get to do. My manager, Susie, amazing. Uh, I I have no plans of leaving. And you know, Why? Why? And that was the magic to see what great leaders were doing to create workplaces where people didn't just survive, but they actually thrived. How they became Mr. Jensen's. How they created moments in people's lives where they said, I like myself best because I'm here. That, that was, it was powerful. And it, and it was fun to not only research that, but also to see the effects of how those people have changed my life. They, they created moments. They got to the part about me. And I do. I think every employee is asking that of their manager. Every kid's asking that of their parents. You know, let me know when it gets to the part about me. And we hear that sometimes as parents, and we go, well, those entitled little shining stars in my life. <laughs> right? yeah. okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? But we think that. And, and I, I, I've, I've tried to kind of end the book and, and through the research and say, you know, it's not so much about entitlement. As it is just about good business. We all and we good all parenting. Want to be seen too. Everybody, everybody wants to be seen. They want to be heard. We want to be understood. Right, and that's yeah. not generational. I mean, it's. I think it's in our generation, it was more like it's all about the team. Like you bury that inside. Like you just go to work. You work hard. But you're right. Like it, what comes off as entitlement and me, me, me. I mean, there's definitely more of that now, just because I think of social media. You know, I think kids have more outlets 
to be seen. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. sometimes that leads them to do things that maybe they shouldn't do just to be seen. But there's nothing wrong with wanting to be noticed. And there's not a person out there that doesn't want to be told, you know, good job or positively, you know, positive affirmations, right? Validated, appreciated. Yeah. And so there was something in that video that I heard that was just, I'll totally butcher it, but it was along the lines of what you just said. Let me know when it gets to the part about me and it. And it is true when you own a business, like I have have this restaurant, it's, it does get to the point where Brent and I were talking about this before the podcast, but you know, I, I have very, very loyal employees, especially the managers, like a lot of like my other cook. Just wait till Clint talks to him. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Yeah. Don't talk to him. (laughs) But, but it's very true. It's, uh, what I notice for me is, you know, I get very invested in people, especially when they work for me. Like, totally. I want to connect with them. But it got to the point where it's like, I've got to back off because every time someone quits, yeah. it would like affect you, hurt my feelings, yeah. or make me mad, or whatever else. And it's there is a fine line between it's like, yeah, this is a restaurant gig. It's they're college kids. Like, yeah, they're mm-hmm. they're here to make some money while they're in school. They're not going to stick around. Don't, don't worry about it. But there are those, there are, I'm sure there's other people where it's like, yeah, if you maybe invest a little bit more time and see them more, maybe they do stick around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it is a good reminder, but it is, it's hard. And what a win though. Like if, if an employee sticks around for three years versus three months. Oh, 100%. Like that's yeah. the thing. If I can find them when they first get to school, man, if I can have them the whole time they're here. Yeah way better employee than just the summertime job people. Right. Yep. Yep. And so important to look at things like it's such a good reminder. And so anyway, just wanted to bring that up. I thought that was really important because, well, and then the other thing that I was talking about, and I don't know if you hear this a lot too, but, um, you know, I've managed this age group, you know, I did summer sales for almost 10 years and, Mm -hmm. I feel like I've always kind of managed this age group and um, it has become a little harder. I will say that I feel like kids don't naturally um, want to work as hard or, or know as much entering the workplace. I mean, it's amazing how many of you have to teach how to use a broom or mop or even wipe off a counter. Like they never had to do any of it, but um but the other part of it is letting your leaders lead too. So I'm the owner. And sometimes I feel like if I get too connected with the staff out there, I don't want them to feel like they can skip over. Yeah, sure. I don't want to take away any authority from the people I've chosen to run the place. So what yeah. do you do you ever run into you know circumstances like that? Yeah, for sure. So in every every business there's four types of managers in every organization. And management is really important to talk about because it's the number one reason why people stay in a job. It's also the number one reason why people leave. Yeah, a job. that doesn't surprise me at all. And so so there's two two variables in all of this that we found. So when I would go up to an employee and if they were dissatisfied with their, a job or they loved a job, it was because of two reasons. The standards of the manager or the lack thereof of standards and second, the ability to connect. Standards and connection. Because as a manager, you've got to stay productive. You've got a business to run. You have to stay profitable or there is no business, right? Sure. But there's also connection and realizing that people have a life outside of this 
job, that people need to be seen, they need to be heard. So the first manager that we find is the removed manager. This is the manager that's just, they're in the organization, but they're not into the organization. This is the manager that should have stopped managing like 20 years ago. They're just, <laughs> right. they're tired, they're Apathetic, burnt out. just. Yeah, so yeah. they're low on standards and they're low on connection. When you say, what do you mean by stand, like what's an example Like Like of expectations of like, listen, we need to show up on time and these are your job responsibilities. Oh, okay. These are the things that need to be done. These are the expectations I have as your leader in this job. It's kind of like a parent with your first child as opposed to your last child. <laughs> exactly. Totally right. Standards are gone. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, good luck. <laughs> yep, but they matter because because here's the thing. So if there are no standards and there is no connection, then, then what this created in the, in the workforce was disengagement. Kids that just don't care. Why should I show up just, on time? My yeah, manager could care less. Yeah. yeah. So they you create a disengaged workforce. The second manager that we would see is the buddy manager. And this is the manager that's super high on connection, low on standards. Yeah. They didn't want to tick anybody off. They didn't want to ruffle feathers. They wanted to be liked more than they were respected. And so what this created was that sense of entitlement where, oh, come on. Come on, Frank. We're homies. We, we played Xbox on the weekends. Come on. Don't cut right. down on me. Don't tell me all of a sudden I need to start cleaning better. We're friends. I saved you in Call of Duty like four times. Yeah, right? Dude, I'm an hour late because <laughs> I, I, sleep- I had to sleep it off. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> And then that's where you find, too, where the, the employee will almost become more of the boss than the bosses. Right. Sure. Because they can run the show. And then, so then the third, though, is most common, unfortunately, and that's the controller. Right. And they're high on standards, low on connection. So this is like the parent or the manager that's like, I'm not here to be your friend. Do your job. It's almost like that's the default because they don't know any better. So they think that's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Or that's all they've seen. That's all. Oh. That's how they were raised. Yeah. yeah. Don't complain to me. Do you know how we used to have to do things? You know, there was no, there was no Facebook. There, there was no, you know how we have to, we used to date or, you know how I used to find a job? Like that old school mentality, control and command, put your head down. Don't complain to me. I show you, I love you. Cause I give you a paycheck. Yeah. Be glad you have a job. It's like when I tell my kids, like, do you like the roof over your head? Yeah. Do you like the food you eat? Yeah. What do you do for it's me? Totally right. Provide you everything. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. You like that phone? Yeah. <laughs> and then this, and then that, that creates that sense of rebellion where you're constantly going toe to toe with people. Just it's a battle because there is no sense of connection. It's just all about the developments, the numbers. It's the productivity, not the person. But the fourth, the fourth manager was the mentor manager, and that was the most powerful thing to witness. We call them the mentor manager because they're equally high on standards as much as they were on connection. So yeah, we still have a job to do, but I also understand you're a person, and I'm going to get to the part about you. Mentorship had to be earned. It was not a title that could be given. And if you look like anybody that's ever been a mentor to you, that was not like a sign to you. You sought that out because of who they were. And uh, mentorship was a powerful thing because you can't become a mentor until the mentee invites you into their heart. And it was, there was five characteristics that created a mentor and uh, it was a powerful thing to witness because that's what people worked for. That's who people were loyal to. It's crazy. As you're explaining these, all I think about is that's parenting. Totally. I, said, I was just thinking like, the same. Those four things, that's the four types of parents. You should release two books at the same time. Yeah. It could be the exact same book. Just switch everything to kids. Yeah, instead and of parents. employees. And, and parents yeah. instead of managers. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it, it's, it's all you Two houses in Florida. You can have one on each <laughs> coast. This podcast was supposed to happen. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> My mind you has just been remember broadened. When I want to use the pool in Florida. Deal. Next year. Deal. You hook but, me up with some barbecue. So you can come stay at the house done. in Florida. But you're right. I mean, it's so it is so similar. Oh, every- well, and it's just taking inventory, right? Like 
watching that little video this morning of yours, like I was telling Brent, I'm always very skeptical of motivational speakers. Yeah. yeah. Right? Just because, well, you know, they say like, to me, I relate it to don't meet your heroes, right? You don't, because there are so many people that social media kind of has created this, in my opinion. Something works. I can get paid doing it. But do I really live it? Yeah. Are you a practitioner? Yes. And I mean, five minutes into your first video, I was like, this guy's the real deal. And you don't get to where you are and talking in front of groups that you do. Without being that. You're going to get, if you're faking it, you're going to be exposed. Sure. Right? But it, as an, I mean, technically I'm still a manager just because I own the place. I'm still managing people. And it's... It's more about making a priority. Until I watched that video, I don't remember the last time I really took stock of each employee, each manager. When's the last time I've sat down with them? When's the last time I've... Connected. Yes. Yeah. And it's... God, I mean, it's a big deal. And it's so important. When was the last time you gave them a yes day? Oh, don't start on that movie. (laughs) You watched that movie? I... No. We watched it on vacation. Ninety nine times. I don't. Think oh it's my gosh! Playing in my house. Jennifer Garner. Is that the, ne- was, the, the new Netflix yes. show. Yeah, yeah. Is it good? No, I haven't seen it. I have seen the no. the overacting on the mom thing. It's too much. Oh my gosh! Much. It was I a lot. I liked it, and my kids. It was are a cute movie. With it, yeah. So. It, it, it is a cute movie. Well, of course they're obsessed with it. They want all of us to just say yes to everything for sure. <laughs> but but yeah, you're right. In parenting, I mean, it is. You know, I. I do read a lot about ADHD. Do you, I mean, do you have ADHD? I have not been clinically diagnosed. Well, I'm clinically diagnosed. <laughs> okay, you, cool. So you thank you. Well, yeah, great. Awesome. You're welcome. Thank but you. Uh, now it's official. It, it's a superpower, man. Like what you're doing is so, there is. Uh, Hold on. Sorry. What is, how do you actually get diagnosed ADHD? I don't even think doctors know how to do it. That's what I'm saying. Like what yeah. is it? Cause it's, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's still very test, antiquated. It? It's, it's no, just, it needs that, to be. It yeah. needs to be like brain waves, yeah. blood, like it's a questionnaire. And it's, but there's some very, like the, the moving and shaking, the energy, the ability to read people. Like a lot of people with ADHD do have a gift of just being very intuitive with little Einsteins. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, yeah. and when, you know, you, you talked a lot about quirky um, interest and always finding new things. Like mm-hmm. that's okay. how right. it is. But, um, Dang it, I forgot where I was going now. This is also an, another problem with people with ADHD. <laughs> where am I? <laughs> uh, what were we talking about right before that? You just asked if he was clinically diagnosed with ADHD. Yeah, well, I was going. But like moments and like connection and sitting down with people and that, that's what we were talking about before that. Son of a bitch. Yeah. All right, let's move on. We'll come back to <laughs> Andrew, it. Andrew, this will. is your fault. You'll come back to it. Yeah, it'll it'll come back. It'll come back. I had a really good point. So I want to get back to... Oh, no. It was being buddies with your kids. That's what I was talking about. Okay. I was going there with parenting. I was just relating to kind of what you were saying. Because it is. It's num- the number two manager, right? Mm-hmm. The one that's high on connection. Yeah. yeah you just and I think people with ADHD have a tendency, I, I've read that in a lot of the books, have a tendency to do that. Like, oh, really? Become buddies with their kids, not want conflict. And, and it is like, it, it's so, it's such a parallel thing with parenting and the workplace. That number two manager style of when you're too connected, you can't discipline, you can't hold a standard, you can't. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Yeah. yeah and the moment you do it, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Right. Yep. Okay. So, I want to go back. 
I guess technically forward, you interviewed all those people, you realized something there's something here. Yeah. Where did you go from there? And I mean, I think a lot of people say, oh, that's interesting. And then they'll just kind of move on from that. Mm-hmm. Right. So what did you do? And like, what about that experience motivated you to do something about it? Yeah. So there was, there was a, a point in my life too, where I, I, I was working for the man, right. Or I graduated college and had the job and I wanted to be a pilot growing up. Like that was a big deal for me. Like the drumming lifestyle and being a speaker, that was not, that was not like what I grew up saying I wanted to do. I wanted to fly. And I was diagnosed with an eye disease when I was 21 years old. And I was told I was going blind. I had keratoconus wow. and I'm still barely legal enough to drive. And they came out with a new procedure that saved my eyesight. That was six years later, though. Wow. So I couldn't fly. I couldn't. Like, my dream was done. I went to flight school at Heber, OK3 wow. Air, and, and was doing that. That's where I wanted to be. And then I couldn't pass the driving test uh, for the vision requirements. Wow. And so that ended all of that. So what do you do when you have no idea what you want to do with your life? And you graduate high school, you go to college, right? <laughs> so I went I to college. I thought co- you were going to say drinking. <laughs> that happens, too. That happens, too. <laughs> And uh, so I went to school, and uh, there was a there was a mentor that that I had there, and he he told me this quote by Oscar Wilde, and the quote says, "To live is the rarest thing in the world, for most people just exist, and that is all." Was this mentor a student or a teacher? Teacher. Wow. Yeah, he was a counselor there. He was just a, like an academic advisor, and super instrumental person in my life. His name's Kirk Young. He he he's from Heber as yeah. well, and uh, just. Yeah, that quote haunted me because I chased the money in college. I'll be honest. Like it was, everybody was telling me, you got to get the benefits. You got to get the salary. You have to have stability. How are you going to raise a family? How are you going to function as a responsible human being? I hate how we do that in America. And we do it a lot. Like even, I think maybe here it's worse than other places. Just life has to be so serious so fast. Yeah. It's crazy. And and I got caught up in that. And I and so I went into the medical field, was making really great money. But every single day, I was just existing. And every day, it was rinse and repeat. And, you know, do the same thing every day. Right. Did you Come recognize home. that while you were in it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and again, I was, I was miserable making good money. I had the benefits. I had the salary. But I was not fulfilled. I was not living. And that quote haunted me. And out of desperation, I... I sat down with two buddies, we were, we, were, we were eating dinner, and I said, guys, wouldn't it be crazy if you could find a job that allowed you to do three things? And I, I call them the three Ps. And I just said, what if it uh, would allow you to do what you love? Passion. Like you had a sense of passion in your job. It pulled on your heartstrings a little bit. Second, it would provide for you in a way that's sufficient for your, your needs. Some people, that's $400,000 a year. Some people, that's $40,000. You know, it just can provide for you in a way that works. And then third, what if it actually gave you a sense of purpose? Like where you felt like you were doing something bigger than yourself. It's not just a job, but it actually fulfills you. It's doing something that's significant, not just successful. And both my buddies were like, dude, it doesn't exist. Wake up. Yeah, they're like, wake up, man. That's exactly what they said. They were like, look at, look, look at a school teacher. Jobs full of passion and purpose, but every summer they're looking for another job so they can make ends meet. Or look at a doctor, you know, that stressed out of their mind, malpractice, they never see their families, right. making lots of money, but the passion and purpose, you know, they said, hey, what you're talking about is rare. And then that, that triggered. So that's like the challenge. Yeah, that triggered that quote from Oscar Wilde 
to live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people just exist. It's true. Like you look at this, that Gallup came out with research two years ago and they found 86% of working adults hate what they do for a job. They're miserable. Like, it's just a job. Be glad you have a job. I'm just working for the paycheck. It's not blissful. It's not ideal. It's just a job. And I refuse to live that way. And I, I didn't believe them. And that quote haunted me enough to the point that I quit my job two weeks after that conversation. Wow. And I burnt all the ships. I declared it on social media. I told everybody I quit my job. The mastermind experience? That was that was before the mastermind. Oh, okay. So as I was doing the mastermind, I had I was like right out of quitting my job. Okay. And so it was like, what's the next thing? And so the next thing was speaking. Because I had had that moment with that guy that told me to go speak in St. George. Sure. Where I felt like that was one thing in my life where I was doing all three of those things. All three Ps were fulfilled there. And not that that's like the, the ideal way that somebody should live a life, but for me, I wanted to have a sense of passion. I needed to be able to provide for myself and a family and purpose. Like the, the Mark Twain quote, I don't even know if it's Mark Twain. There's so many people that attribute Andrew. this to different people. It's probably Andrew. Well, let's hear Andrew. for it. Let's hear it. He is the quote. He is the quote it's guy. Like okay, okay. So it's, it's, it's attributed to Mark Twain, but he said that there's two important days in a person's life. The day you're born and then the day you figure out why. Some people hear that and like, yeah, fluffy, motivational. Why are you on this earth? That's awesome. But for me, it mattered. Like, why are you here? Like, what's your purpose? I believe that there's something bigger than just me making money in this world. Benjamin Franklin called that his point of choice. Yeah. Yeah. Told you. There (laughs) There it is, dude. Totally. (laughs) There he is. And and I was not put on this earth to be doing what I was doing. And I I quit and I jumped into the speaking world. And then I started speaking to kids. I jumped back in and was doing high school assemblies, junior high assemblies, and then that's how the Undercover Millennial program came to be. And I related to those people that were miserable in their jobs, and I related to bad managers. Yeah. And I said, man, what a, what a calling, what a purpose if I could create an environment where we could bridge that gap. So cool. And that's how it started. Okay, so you come back from your New York trip. What do you do? So I went... Like, what, what was the first... I mean... I think a lot of people, especially listen to this podcast, they're entrepreneur at heart. A lot of times it feels overwhelming. Sometimes you don't even know what you're going to do or that you're going to do anything different. So like, what was that first step that you did when you got home? Yeah. So first thing I did is I went to, I had this little thing that I call a board of mentors. They're just mentors in my life that I trust. And when I have an important decision or I have something that I'm trying to think through, how can I de-risk the situation? And I de-risked that situation by going to my board of mentors with the idea, shop it around. What do you think? Is this possible? And they gave me insight and perspective that changed everything. I think really that moment with Mr. Jensen taught me that principle, that sometimes some people are going to see things that you don't even see within yourself. And if you can shop that around to people that you trust and care about, they have confidence, credibility, competence, they're going to be honest with you, but they also genuinely care about you as a person. Everyone needs, like, I, I call it a personal board of advisors. Yeah. Right? Take Susan that idea Peterson to Susan talked about that a lot, right? Yeah. Having that personal board, mentors, advisors, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And so I took the idea to them and we brain worked it and shopped it around and tried it out. And, you know, what do I do? How do I make this work? How can I protect people's privacy? Would a business really want to do this? Right. How, how do, and I just worked through all the ideas. And then I went to, uh, you know, every state has like, like so like, like at that time, owner, did you know you wanted to like secretly interview employees? 
Yeah. Like you, so you had already kind of mm-hmm. figured that that mm-hmm. was kind of what you wanted to do. And then you're trying to structure how to do that. Yeah. Because everybody else, they just do surveys. Yeah. They do a survey. And then I found that most employees don't answer 100% honestly on the survey because they're always worried what's on the other they side. They know my handwriting. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they're going to know this. Is yeah. Me. Yeah. They say that it's anonymous. Sure. No, no way. Yeah. I'm just kidding. And then they, we do the one on one manager meetings. And if I hate you as a manager, I'm not going to tell you face to face. Seriously. There's no incentive for me to do that. Yep. And so there was a need. And what I was doing was, was getting honesty. We were getting authentic answers because there are issues. So how do we find out the issues? We create an environment where honesty can exist. And that's what this program did. Yeah. So. You were about to say something about every state has. Yeah. Every state has like a, a, a business like CEO mastermind groups or okay. like where business owners can come together and they can talk and they can network and they right, can. Right, right build their their uh their mentorship which is cool and i went to those groups and i said i'm doing this thing i will come in and i'll do it for free because i needed reps that's how you pitched the idea and that's how i got started okay and then we provided massive value so and we opened up some ideas that were like please come in yep interesting yep come in and help us figure out some things because we're losing people like crazy and it's costing us thousands of dollars cam would you have signed up for that yeah, I think it would be pretty cool. Yeah. I cuz I think it can go I mean it's going to go one of two ways, right? You're either going to realize that you need to improve and just create more Yeah. efficiency and happiness and whatever else, or you get some validation that what you're doing is Exactly. Is and working, I applaud right? you for having that mentality cuz a lot right. of business owners don't they don't want to know. Isn't that well, funny how pride is bliss yeah. in that yeah. area? Well, and pride, like yeah. just get over it. Like Yeah. I don't perfect. own a business to I mean, I want to be successful. I want to go to Florida again. Well, you're good at barbecue. Oh, I really want to go to Florida again. You you didn't get into the HR business, right? Yeah. Most business owner CEOs don't get into the HR side of things. They get into it because they had a business, they had a product, and that was their special talent, right? The business is almost like a necessary evil to a lot of it. And well, people management is a big part correct. of that. It's massive. You want to have employees. Well, correct. it's rich dad, poor dad. It's like surround yourself with people smarter than you, uh-huh. right? Like I'm good at barbecue. Yes, I'm good with people, but I suck at planning. Like I'm, yeah, I, I don't remember to do a lot of things. So it's like I I would. I would definitely want that. And not to mention, it's like if you start a business, the whole point is to be, doesn't have to just be about money, but I mean, you want to be successful. Yeah. And you don't want to work for somebody ever again. So why not maximize the chances of, of never having to work successful. for somebody, yeah. Yeah. you know, make your business work and make it better. And so it's, and you have nothing to lose. You only have everything to gain, exactly. right? Cause it's like, yeah, most of my employees, I don't really know. I don't really know them. Like, like I said, it's a, it's a pride thing. It's a pride thing. But on the flip side, like what a legacy it's, you know, you think of Mr. Jensen. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a teacher. It's funny. I have a teacher from Wasatch that, I mean, I tell, I talk about her more than, was Miss Van Sloten still uh-uh. in your high school? Uh-uh. She taught pre-algebra my senior year. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yes, Brent. <laughs> I went back to pre-algebra my senior year. Okay, you dick. <laughs> just kidding. But it, you know. I wasn't, they told me that I wasn't going to graduate high school with like six months left of my senior year. They're like, it's literally impossible. Obviously, that's when I kicked it into high gear. Yeah. And on graduation day, I, she let me, Miss Van Sloat let me take 
the math final for a third time to try to get a D because I needed a D. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. I got like a D minus and she just started crying. She's like, you're just such a sweet kid. And she gave me a D. It's awesome. And I got to walk with my class that night. And that one moment, like who knows? I never went to college, never wanted to go to college, but I'm proud of graduating high school, especially, I mean, I was literally at that damn high school <laughs> from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Saturday. For the last six months of my senior year, working off citizenship, and you know the U's or whatever they were. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, funny how much more work you did. Oh yeah, the average person to graduate. (laughs) Oh, but I still do that. So I know that's the thing. As soon as the deadline hits, I like I will make it happen. Like I will get it done. But I do need the the wall, right? I do Uh need that deadline. But it's. But I mean, as a leader, or as a manager, or owner of a business, like it's something that we probably don't think about enough. If somebody's here for a year, but they did feel really seen and very validated, what an awesome thing for them to, for you to be a part of their story going forward. Yes. Especially that, and they're early sitting in, in a podcast yes. and talking about. You know, I had a boss at one of my summer jobs in college that made me realize that I was great with people or I had this gift for whatever. Yeah. And I mean, that is such a cool opportunity that, I mean, as a business owner, you are in a very unique position to be that for somebody else. And it adds a little bit of like significance to the job, you know, that it's not just all about making money. It's not all about just scaling. Like we have this mentality, especially in America, that you've got to scale. If you're not growing, then, you know, and it's like, man, what about the people? Yeah. You know? Well, that's what's so cool because focusing on the students and the age that you are, Frederick Douglass has a quote and it says, it's easier to build strong children than repair broken men. Yeah. And it's because a very small change in your trajectory when you're young is a massive difference the mm-hmm. older you get as opposed to trying to take someone who's older and redirect their course, right? Absolutely. And so the ability, and that's what's so awesome about what you've done and what you're doing is by focusing on you know, kids and younger people, you can change lives and who knows, you might change literal generations from one interaction, from one, you know, one very insignificant moment is forever change that person. Yeah. And why does work have to suck? Yeah. You know, why do we have to put so much stress on people? And, yeah. and it's a place where so many people spend so much of their time. Yeah. Why not Why not be a master storyteller in people's lives? Not in the story that you, that you tell, but in the story that you help other people write. Yeah. Right. Why would you not do that? And it just boggles my mind. And, and again, that's why I, I, the book's titled, I Love It Here, because I wanted the book to be, it's not another leadership book written by a you know, self-proclaimed leadership expert. That's not what this is. This is a book written by 10,000 employees who knew when their leaders were getting it right. And it was these, these significant bosses, right. these managers that realized, man, I can, write, I can write stories for kids' lives. I can change people's everything by creating moments where they thrive at their work, not just survive. And I think we need more of that. I think I'm glad that we got to him before Good Morning America in like two months. <laughs> Or Oprah when she puts it on the top 10. Because it is. It's such a miss or an underrepresented genre, maybe we'll say. Yeah. Or it, because you're right. Like, 
There are so many management books, but the data involved and the way that you got the data is so unique and it, it's, it's only honest because it, it only, it, there's no other way for it to yeah. be because it's hidden cameras, like backwards hat, whatever else. Yeah, yeah. I just I was just thinking a minute ago, I was like, how many guys are gonna have hotter wives because of Clint? <laughs> oh no. I'm just saying, what if they're making more money because they learned they can get you know, it opens up another realm of possibility. Changing waves all, all over that's the world. That's what I'm saying. That like is, that's a big one. Is that is that his third? Have you ever seen the crazy hot matrix? Is that Remember his that? third book now? Yeah. No, he just needs to keep doing what he's doing. And there will be guys that will probably you know, might have just been lazy drunks the rest of their life, but they learn something <laughs> and they succeed. There you go. What a good legacy. So Thanks. when it, when in your process did you know you're gonna turn that into a book? <laughs> Uh, it was when I, I would go and talk about it, or we would do the research, and we'd go present, and they would say, how do we keep the main thing the main thing? Because as business managers and owners, like, you're busy. You're busy people. Yep. And there's so many things that can come day in and day out and just rock your world and take your perspective off of your people. And so it was like- Oh, you, that's the truth. Do you have a book? Do you have something that we can, we can you know, continuously keep in our drawer and read and look and, and refer to? And how do we keep the main thing the main thing? And the book obviously honestly scared me because I'm, I'm not the guy that can sit down and just type for hours. It was really difficult for me. And I, you know, a lot of authors will do, they'll use ghost writers. Right. They'll just speak something and someone will write it for them. And I didn't want to do that. I, I wanted it to be my voice and I wanted to make sure that it was authentically the employee's story. And so I, it, it took me four years and so did you record, I'll never do it again. Did you record? I, every interaction with an employee somewhere or was mm -hmm. it all from mine when you were yeah, writing? So when book? I would go in and work with a specific organization or business and then after I did my, my work and then I would go, so I wanted, the goal was to find trends. What are the trends? The negative trends and the positive trends. And then I would go after and I would, I have the footage so we'd analyze the footage and then I always had a log and I would write down every employee's response. What they saw, what they said, what they hated, what they didn't like, like all of the things. And so then I have all of the logs, all of the data. And then I went through and I said, I said what are the trends? And it started to, you know, out of 10,000 employees, I could start to pick like, okay, you're talking about this because that's what 74 other employees just said. And it was these trends of universal principles that people were constantly referring to when they loved their job. Mm. And that's what I wanted the book to be about. I wanted it to be solution-based, not problem-based. How, how do we provide... Oh, everyone's goodness. a critic, right? Everyone can point out what's wrong. Yeah. Very few and people that, can tell you yeah. what, what to do differently. Exactly. Well, and that's what's it's refreshing. We all like watching the train wreck, right? Like we like the drama yep. of... An issue. I want to watch problem. them talk about hating their managers. I, I don't care about how we make it better or how we fix it, yeah. right? Yeah. But did you notice any trends or... So I've, I have two questions, but that overlapped um, or, or were different by industry? Like, cause you said you worked in a lot of different industries yes, gathering yes, this info. Yes. Were there things that you noticed more in the service industry or, or was it all pretty overlapping? Yeah, so it's pretty overlapping because the, the root of good engagement is that universal principle that stems across all platforms, whether that's parenting, retail, hospitality, construction sites, medical clinics right now the, now the, the the smoke might be different right but the flame is still the same wow so quote. so the root of that is universal and so it might be packaged differently right really they might good. talk about it in a different light but it's the same universal principle that's either working or not 
Yeah. So besides parenting and business, there's another world that you need to take this to. Yeah. What is it? Coaching. Coaching. Yeah. Sport athletics. I've done a lot of coaching podcasts lately. You know what I mean? Like it, it, cause that is, it was funny. We've had, we had Dave Rose in here and it was interesting to hear him. It was after it was BYU's head coach, basketball coach forever. Mm-hmm. And you know, he was retired. So he was able to kind of get a little more um, candid with us and mm-hmm. saying that I didn't adjust with the new generation. I was still a little old school. Yeah. The controller. And that kind of brings me to the next question. There are a lot of people that do have kind of a sour view towards millennials mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Gen Gen Y. Is that the, the one after? Yeah. Gen Z. Gen Z. Is yeah. that what it is? Yeah. And so what do you say? So do you know where that difference came from or what? Cause there, what you said about your three P's, the last one was, um, Purpose. Purpose. Yep. That seems to be a very big deal with companies now. It's all about like you come, you work here, you can be successful, but this is what we're doing to give back. What What yeah. about ge- millennials and Gen Z? Z? Yeah. It's a great question. Like what, what changed there? Like, yeah, do you I, know? I'll tell you exactly what changed there. So out of 10,000 employees, here is the, the honest core truth, and I believe this with everything that I have. Millennials are no different than baby boomers as far as people. People are people. Now, the world that they've grown up in has has changed, right? It's changed significantly. But people are still people. And the moment we start stereotyping like a generation based off of the year they were born, and that's what happened. It's a marketing strategy because people that are from an older time and have grown up in a different mindset in a different world, they we've always looked at the, the generation below us and we find problems and issues. Boomers did it to... Oh, totally the, right. To it's, it the just, Gen Xers. Yeah, it all transcends. It, yeah. it's all, oh, man, dang, we'll younger hippies. kids. Yeah, <laughs> Bunch of hippies. Exactly. Cut your damn hair. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. And now we're doing it to... And millennials will do it to the, the generation preceding them. So we have to get away from that. And it bothers me because there's so many speakers that they come in with this marketing ploy that if you have millennials, you need to do these five things. And it's bull. It is bull. I have found millennials that are entitled, millennials that are lazy, millennials that don't want to work. I have also found millennials who are incredibly loyal, that are hard workers. We've all grown up in different worlds. Some of us had parents that taught us how to wipe a counter. Some of us had parents that didn't. Not very many, but no, I'm just kidding. But again, the moment that we can like stop with the, the stereotypes, stop labeling somebody that based off of the year you were born, then you're just you're just an entitled person. Well, what's funny? It's so flawed. It's so flawed. It's not them. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> like if you think about it, oh freaking millennials, they're entitled. Like, it happens well, Gen all X, the time. Gen X raised them, so maybe we were the problem, or or you know the boomers or whatever. I mean, but ultimately, like why like there's. Only a problem because we're calling it a problem, right? And, and that's what he said, right? Like we labeled it. And yeah. I, I'm totally guilty of it because I there is definitely a difference in a college-age kid, kid now than there was when I was college-aged, right? I don't necessarily know that that directly correlates into being like a better worker or not. I just think the world... You know, like when when I grew up, like you'd probably be considered Gen X also, right? How old are you? Thirty six? No, maybe not. I'm technically like the top end of the movie. You're like, yeah, see, I think they say like I was born in seventy nine, 
and they say that we were the we were the first generation or the only generation to go from analog to digital. Like if you think about it, like technology, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we went from like tapes and CDs and film video recorders, but we were still pretty young when the world switched over to cell phones, way, cell phones yeah. and wireless. So yeah, <laughs> it it's interesting, but the kids after us grew up in such, I mean, if we look at like the industrial age and how fast things changed from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. world war one and on, I bet that 70 or 80 years of industrial progress, I will bet in the last 20 years, we've climbed 300% faster than that. And what we're doing now. I mean, so kids grew up with social media and yeah, internet and their parents had all the, everything became easy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like everything. Be, and we're aware of everyone's plight. You know, so that's really my question is where does the caring come from? Like the purpose part of it. Yeah. All of a sudden that's such a big deal. Does that mean that the kids nowadays have bigger hearts or yeah. is it what they're seeing when they grow up? And I and I, I I would be curious too to like you know if we were asked baby boomers you know did you ever care about purpose in your life, I mean how many of them would say no, you know See, no it's, like, you were talking about the other day the or the school has been made to produce turn farmers into factory workers factory workers yeah right mm-hmm. and and you don't really know what's going on around or outside of your immediate wherever you live you read the yeah. paper whatever else but yeah. now. The second something happens in France, we all know about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally, and I, I think I think you're, you're you're totally right in that dynamic. the 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 goal, though, I think always should be to remember that people are people, individuals. We need to treat people as individuals, not as a stereotype or a generation or a generation. I when I was in flight school, every plane has a manual, just like a car. Right. This right. is this is when it should stall. This is the speed you should land at. This is the speed you should take out off at. But every flipping pilot knows that when you get in and you fly an airplane, you have to fly the plane. Doesn't matter what the manual says. Every plane flies differently. Some of them stall at different speeds. One plane will kind of sit a little heavier on the left side. They just they have different dynamics, and it bothers me because so many companies they try to do these personality assessments. We try to diagnose people. And in that process, we misdiagnose everybody instead of focusing on an individual and realizing, okay, yeah, you're a millennial. You grew up in a different world than I did, but I have no idea how you were raised by your, pa- your parents. Right. I have no idea what trials you've gone through. I have no idea what you're – there's so much more to just the life you are living in that makes up a person. So stop looking at them as a generation. Focus on the individual. And that takes time. That's why I don't think a lot of us want effort. to do it. It takes effort. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. But that is truly the root of how you will connect with people. Yeah. There is no hack to the millennial generation. Have you, have you heard of hmm. Benjamin Hardy's book, Personality Isn't Permanent? I haven't. It's a really good Great title. It's what it talks about, though. It's like getting away from personality assessments. Well, just like it's so hard to just blanket statement, yeah. you know, put someone in a box, you know, it's well, just, same ADHD does the same thing. Well, it's like, like in it, everyone is so different. Yeah. Because yeah. there's nurture. There's your nature, then there's your nurture, uh-huh. right? Like just because well, you have ADHD doesn't mean that you are. 
well, then there's evolution of the person, right? Totally like, right. As yes. you grow and change based off of environment and circumstance and family. I mean, all of these different things you have to take into an account to understand who that, yes. your point, Clint, who that individual is. That's right. Right? That's right. So as you wrote the book, like what was the purpose of it? If you, if like if someone read your book, what do you hope they get out of it? I, I think the biggest thing is to, to help people remember, especially in leadership, that you have a stewardship. You have an opportunity to not just run a, a great business. You have an opportunity to make better lives, to make and create better stories for humans. Like that's the, that's, we need to remember that. And it's so easy to get caught up in the business because that's what you live and breathe every day. But we have to remember that it's a living, breathing thing full of individuals. And when you can get to the part about them, when we learn how to create a connection where we become the mentor in the story, we become a Mr. Jensen. That's what empowers people. And empowered workforces always increase higher productivity. We create broader, better profitability. So it's just that reminder to, to you have you have more you you play the role that is so much more powerful than just being a boss. So do you talk yeah. about do you talk about how to become that fourth? Yeah, that's management what the position. Whole bot, the that's like, what it's all about. Obviously, we talked about this. Identifying the problem is massive. Yep. Solving it is way more important. Totally. And that is what the whole book is about. Is all actionable strategies on how you become that mentor, that significant person in your employees' lives. Now, what about the flip side of the coin? This could be the next book. Yeah. What did the employees do? How to become do? a better employee? Like how? Yeah. Like how to be seen? Because I would imagine with the data you have goes both ways, right? Mm -hmm. you, I mean, you're seeing what employees are doing or not doing. I mean, even just speaking to managers, like seeing what they value or seeing what makes somebody stand out. Because I think that that's a big part of it too. I mean, there's responsibility kind of on both sides. I mean, if you're the manager, obviously you've got the authority, you, you know, I would, I would say that you that's can only the do bigger so priority someone, than exactly. like us changing as, but but I also think it's important for people to know, here's what you can do to stand out in the workforce or mm -hmm. to make things. Because I think there is a general, when you're 21 or whatever, the age group, 18 or whatever age group you're working with, a job is always just going to be a job. Like you can make it better, obviously, but and a bad manager can make it a lot worse. But is is the information out there to teach them like when you get, get there, this is what they're looking for. Or this is what, if you want to be validated, if you want to be seen, like these are some tools that will help you. Let's mm -hmm. do this. Let's use Bam Bams as a case study. Cool. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I'm serious. Okay. Most people who come here are not coming here for a career. Oh, for sure. They don't have a desire to become a pit boss. They don't want to be in barbecue yeah. or a restaurant their whole life. Right. It is a job for school. It's definitely getting harder to hire for rest. Like that, if I'm honest with the whole generational thing, right? Which we're, I'm going to work on that now. I'm going to stop putting everyone in a box. I'm 40, almost 42. I'm but, grumpy. But right but, now, let's put them back in that box. I'll right, work on well, it, I'll work on it after. It's funny, like even from just eight years ago when we opened how much harder it is to find quality people that there's like, it's kind of like, uh, I don't want ew, I don't want to work in a restaurant. Like it's gross mm -hmm. or it's, I don't know. It's just, it, they, oh. they kind of, I feel like it's just something has changed to where like restaurants have, I have always thought that restaurants have kind of been the bedrock of 
teenagers first jobs right like there's so many of them it's a great place to get a, a first job when you're a kid yeah. but what's changing and of course in my mind it's just like well they're soft you know what i mean like that's the first place you go to sure. that and that needs to change but but yeah it's hard let's ask him so what advice would you have for cam on cr- on creating a more there goes my mic. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the mic just flipped on me. <laughs> on creating, you know, a better environment, a more engaged workforce. Yeah, so it's it's about creating a workplace that people talk about. It's about creating right. a workplace where people can actually thrive, where it, where it's not just a job. It's not just working at a restaurant. You provide an experience. Like what? So, so for example, so uh, uh, there was a... Sorry, school. I'm totally putting you on the spot. No, it's awesome, man. I love <laughs> it. I love it. it. And it's important to, to ask because people that are listening to this, if you are a manager, these are real life dilemmas. These are real life things that they experience. So there was a school district that we worked with. She could not keep janitors to save her life. Right. She worked in, it was an elementary school. And think about it, like who wants to be a janitor? Cleaning up after children. For sure. Every day, day in and day out. She couldn't do it. She couldn't, she could not figure out how to keep people. And she was losing them left and right. And she got this guy that was pretty decent. He had been working for like six months, halfway through the year. And she could not lose him. He was wonderful, a great employee. And she understood the power of story and how to bring people into a better story to help them realize that it's not just a janitorial job. It's not just a restaurant job. It can be something more. It can have a little bit of a sense of purpose. And some people rule this off as fluff and yeah, 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 but it's still, still a restaurant job. It doesn't have to be. And I have seen companies that have transformed the narrative of what the job is and it changes the culture and people change that perception. They work differently. They're part of something different. It's not just a restaurant. It's not just a janitorial job. So what she did is she went around to every classroom and she had every kid write a note to that janitor. Dang. And tell that janitor what they had done or what the janitor had meant to them in their life. Oh, she's good. That's awesome. And that manager, so I've been doing this for five years. The manager has now been there for four, or excuse me, the janitor has been there for four years. Oh, cool. And that moment, I've spoken to the janitor many times. The janitor's a close friend, still works at the school. And he says, I stay here because of that moment that she created. She changed everything for me. And I realized that I wasn't just a janitor cleaning up trash and garbage and throw up and all the things. Gum under the desk. Gum under the desk. And, And the things that the kids wrote. And when he realized that he became an advocate and a protector and the only person that would ever say hi and a friend. And like, it just transformed. It well, tra- you transform the kids there too. Cause that is a stereotype. You teach, them, you teach like, them to appreciate the, the work yes, they're doing. Yes. Like exactly. they, they don't just see the like creepy dude, like rolling the trash can down the hall and like coveralls. It's, yeah, this guy's a sweet guy. Like, yeah, yeah. There's a contractor. A, there's there's a awesome house, thing. A house contractor that he he. Every family after they they build a home for a family, they create, he he puts like a thousand dollars into every video after every home, and it's the family talking about what their home means to them after they've been in it for six months. Wow. And then he gives that to everybody that worked on the house, just to remind them you're not just slapping wood together. We're building homes for people. We're, we're just it, adding so much meaning. Just to changing the narrative. Change the narrative. And it's easier said than done. But when you sit down as a leader and you think about your culture, how can we change that narrative? How can we bring a sense of purpose, a little bit of passion? How do we how do we allow people to do something bigger than just cooking barbecue? Did you ever do a restaurant? Yeah. I've done a lot of restaurants. What what types of things would those managers do for a restaurant? Like as far as like appreciation or they like don't smoke too much. <laughs> 
Like, like in what realm? Like, like, like what, what activities did you find the top managers in a restaurant doing for their employees yeah. to provide that kind of experience? So there's a restaurant chain in Texas that we worked with and they provided fill it moments for their employees. And so what they did is they, he had a cash box. He started with this, but in the cash box. So the manager would take a percentage of the monthly income and just put it in the cash box. It's money, free money sitting there. Uh, there was also gift cards. He would put in, uh, there was thank you notes. There's all sorts of stuff. And the whole goal was if they saw an opportunity to serve somebody, to make something, you know, give them the extra pickle, give them a little more meat, to do something that was above the status quo. Every employee had free reign to do that. And so then it became not just let's get everybody through and make sure everybody has a meal and make money. It's like, no, we're on a quest to make sure that we have fill it moments. That we can, I can do whatever I want. So you're giving, so you're saying the manager gave the employees free reign, free reign to do that for the customer mm-hmm. to create, and then they got customer moments. They got compensated out of the cash box. Nope, nope. That they, cash they, box was something they could use to give a customer, right? Yeah, to so give. Yeah. So if they gave them extra meat, they would take five bucks out of the cash box, and that's how totally. they covered. Yeah, and just it, okay. here's the thing, and they would make the standard of if there is an opportunity for you to go above and beyond for a customer you will not be faulted for that. That That's what we live for. That's what right. we do. And in doing so, what did they do? They created a better customer service experience. And people talked about it. People Instagrammed that. it. People talked, I mean, it transformed everything. And the employees weren't just serving food. They were they were making moments. Yeah. A, a powerful. So that's just a small example. Uh, and it happened in all sorts of different industries. How do we put people on a mission, not just give them a job? Man, that, it does. It makes them feel. It would make as an employee, you would just feel like you have ownership of ownership of exactly the business. Uh-huh. Exactly. Well, plus, who doesn't like creating those moments for people, right? Yeah, we had, like mean, we worked with a tire company, tire store, and they they would they would write thank you notes in every car, every car that they served. They would just they would get to know the person who who they were. Even if it was just like, hey, thanks, we got your car. Go wait in the the, the room. But they would just come in and say, how's the day? How are you, how are you doing? They'd, feel, they'd talk about their kids. They just created relationships. And then they wrote a thank you note in every car. It's just their signature thing. So cool. And it's just that little thing that allowed them to go, okay, we're not just putting tires on a car, but we're actually keeping families safe. So when does the book come out? book comes out April 13th. It's coming. It's coming. I'm yeah. ordering it today. I can't wait. It's, can you pre-order it? Yeah, you pre-order it right now on Amazon. Okay. Yeah. I want to know what it's like for you to, like when you're going out on a date with your wife, does she ever get mad? Like, the, are the wheels turning? Are you looking around? Oh, totally. Like I, everywhere you go now, it's like, okay, let's see if there's any good managers in here. <laughs> yeah, for I sure. I mean, has it kind of- She does it with me. Yeah, we'll be out and I'll, I'll just, out of curiosity, it's just a chain that I've heard about or something that I, I'm just genuinely curious. So cool. Yeah, and there's been times where we go to dinner at the same place for a week. And we just, we just, you know, we order something different, but I'm just genuinely curious about this specific chain and I want to know. Yeah. That is really cool. It's and fun. she's into that. Yeah. She, like she I mean, she's like, it's not like, turn it off. Can we just have dinner? Yeah. Sometimes it's okay. that for sure. Yeah. She's like, really? Do you really need to ask them what they think about their job? Yeah. That definitely happens. So are you still speaking a lot also? Yeah. So it slowed down a lot because of COVID-19, sure. obviously, but it's starting to ramp back up. So we're really excited about the book. That's fueling a lot of other events and people that are doing hybrid things. And uh, So talk to us a little bit about what you do, because I know when you are, when COVID allows it mm-hmm. and you're doing in-person events, yours are different than most 
people who just show up on a stage, right? It's like, like what what's a kind of experience that you provide as you speak? Yeah, so there's that mix of entertainment. We make it fun. So it's got the drums. I tell the Mr. Jensen story, third person. They have so no great. idea that I'm the kid. And then we reveal the drums behind the curtain or on the stage. And I stand, we just rock the house. We kind of create a little mini rock concert. But it gives them the chance to see what influence looks like. You know, as a teacher, sometimes you're with that kid and you make those meaningful moments, but you have no idea how it impacted their lives. But just because you don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Okay. And so we get to show them that. They get to see that. And then we also, uh, we, we do custom drumsticks for everybody. So oh, people actually cool. get to go home with a pair of drumsticks, but that's then awesome. we use that in the keynote and we do a, a live drumline experience. So everyone's got buckets and drumsticks. Oh my and God. we teach the principles of unifying a group, unifying an organization. How do you harmonize? How do you get everybody on the same beat, doing the same thing to create something meaningful? And we do that live and we teach the principles. They get to see firsthand how it works, how difficult it can be, but also how simple it can be when you just change a few things. So it's fun. It's, it's It's a unique, different perspective. I've always tried to stay disruptive in everything I do in my business. How can I make this different? How can I make this not your norm? And it's, it's, it's been a good thing for us. Are, have you wow. stayed focused on kids, high schools, colleges for speaking? I do, I do it all still. I love the kids. I call it the lion's cage. When, when, when you can go in a high school gymnasium and you've got you know, 2,000 high school kids surrounding you, like that is the hardest stage in the world because kids will tell you if you suck or not. They have <laughs> for no sure. they have no problem giving it to you straight. And so for me it keeps me keeps me current. It keeps I think it helps me be a better speaker, be a better storyteller, learn how to be more engaging. So I love the kids. I still will speak to the kids. I'm I'm not uh, the dad yet. I still look right. like cousin Jerry, you know. <laughs> I still have a little bit of relatability there. There's definitely a an expiration date on that, but so far I'm still good. And then, and then speaking to teachers, we do a ton of professional development and speaker training, uh, or teacher training. And then, and then a lot of what we're doing now is all corporations. Okay. So going in and speaking to organizations that want to retain their people. Cool. Yeah. Where's the best place for people to find you? Uh, ClintPulver.com, the website, and, uh, and then all, you know, the social media platforms. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Man, I learned a lot today. I can't wait for the book to come out. This, I mean, really, what you're doing is really special. You have to and come back when it comes out, so we can like do some giveaways for some signed copies or something. I'd lo- I've got, I bought, I've got books for you, so we'll get you books. Oh, shut up! Yeah, I've got books for you. Yes, I got books. For you. We'll get you books oh, I today. Can't wait, this is why we do the podcast. Yeah, free stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's we'll amazing we'll how much we up. all learn in the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Like today. There's so many different levels to what you're talking about. Like, I'm, I'm even thinking about, like, how many of us have taken time? Like, I have never reached out to Miss Van Sloten to tell her, yeah, thank, thank you for that moment. And, you know, I, w- I would imagine as an educator, apathy would be very easy. Like, it, it would be really easy to just well, yeah, autopilot, I mean, right? Your one phone call might make her year. Uh, for sure. Like, I've even thought about reaching. I did find, I looked her up the other day. She's a realtor now but she's still in Utah. And I thought it'd be fun to tell her these things on the podcast. Yeah, dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like invite her to it. Amazing. But, but, but even that, like the janitor story. And I think it's so important that we all with social media now, it is pretty easy to find those people from your past that made an impact. Tell them. Yeah. Let them know. Let, let them know. Because I mean that, I would imagine most teachers, they didn't get in. They obviously don't get into it for money. Mm Mm-hmm. 
right? Yeah, they're not doing it for them. There is a purpose there. It's just like nurses and doctors and yeah. it's, I mean, what a, what a rewarding moment for them. And so it, it's kind of the full circle. It's not just creating that for someone, but making sure to share that with the person that created that moment yeah. for you. A lot of people say, you know, be, be the leader that you wish you had. Yeah. And I've always said, no, be the leader that you were lucky enough to have. Yeah. You know, be, be that, that teacher. For you know, sure. I'm trying to be the Mr. Jensen. My, my, my mantra, if there is a mantra that I have, is it's not about being the best in the world. It's about being the best for the world. And it's been something that I've just, I've learned from those people that were the best for me. And I think it's, it's a good way to live. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having it's me. So this has good. been a this has been a riot. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, keep it up. You're a special dude. Oh, uh, you guys world are nice. Needs you, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for your support. Yeah.